0: Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support.
1: Uh, I know a number of officers that I'm connected with. They're like, you know what? I've got the time in. I'm going to retire. It's just not worth it. And then the, man, the assassinations, the killings uh, towards law enforcement, it, it's alarming. It's really alarming. So it's very discouraging right now in, in the law enforcement community.
2: The words of a church planter with a background in missionary work and law enforcement. Glenn Hirschberger, talks about an exciting new vision for the law enforcement community today on Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. All we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence,
1: multiple rapes.
2: Welcome to Life Support hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, co-sponsor of this program, and our goal is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join the conversation with Pastor Paul.
0: Hey, welcome to Life Support. So glad you're with us today. What we do on this program is we tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with Christ, and we do it through talking about suffering, trauma, trials, difficulties, challenges, all of those things where Jesus shows up, and he does show up when you need him. And so I'm really, really thrilled to be joined by a guest today who I just have a ton of respect for, who is the Executive Director of Church Planning for Great Lakes Region of Converge. His name is Glenn Hirschberger. And Glenn, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Pastor Paul. All
0: right, so you're... um, in wisconsin right now correct
1: that is correct
0: and you're kind of near the border of minnesota and wisconsin so are you in packer country or are you in uh, viking country there
1: no well i tell you what it's a mixed bag where i live uh we have a lot of minnesota fans on this side of st croix but uh, i was raised in wisconsin so it's kind of by default i have to be a Packer fan
0: so you're on the packer end of things but when you're you know when you're speaking in minnesota you got to tuck that away it doesn't always go over very well here
1: I'm very stealth, very stealth.
0: Good, because, you know, God might, you know, how Paul always prayed to have that thorn taken away. I've got Packer fans, and you know, on staff here. And it's a constant problem when I when I come to work, so.
1: It sounds like a blessing, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, now, um, here's the thing about Glenn Hirschberger that I, I find fascinating is that you haven't always been uh, a church planting guy. You have a whole career before that. Why don't you just take us back to You know, um, just kind of just give us a quick recap of your story and and what you did before you became the executive church planning director.
1: Yeah, well, it's an interesting story. Um, Got into law enforcement, worked at a sheriff's department in Green Lake, Wisconsin for a few years. Then went to Fond du Lac City. And then I thought I was done with law enforcement, had a good career uh, total with even part time 24 years. And when I went to Lake Mills, Wisconsin to plant a church, my old chief deputy hired me part time, uh, which aided the church plant tremendously. People trust law enforcement for the most part. And uh, I got into the schools teaching kids, D.A.R.E. and so forth. And uh, yeah, it was uh, did that for about eight years. And then God called us to Panama. Actually, I was in the church plant for 11 years. And God called us to plant a church in Panama City panama uh, targeting or reaching out to the expatriates that spoke english and so we were there for four years um, got the church up and running LifeBridge international church it's a wonderful wonderful ministry and then converge hired us as directors of mobilization and we worked in uh, orlando in the converge office for about three years all right so tell me what it's like to be a believer
0: in jesus christ in the law enforcement community
1: yeah i i've Shared a lot of people, with a lot of people, that that faith and grounding sustain me. Because uh, scripture clearly talks about um, the depraved and the sinfulness of our culture. When you work in law enforcement, you do see the underbelly of the culture. Um, and I worked many years for uh, you know, a night shift. Uh, and I just had this conversation with someone recently that nothing good happens after midnight. There's a lot of darkness, and it's not just because the sun set. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a good thing to tell our kids. I don't think they believe us when we tell them that, but. um, But here's the thing. Um, I got to you know, Wendy and I were kind of exposed to that community uh, from the other side as a a family, a victim of of a homicide, and so we all of a sudden became well acquainted with uh, a team of detectives and this how this kind of whole process worked. And they would, as we got to know them, they would begin to open up about these kinds of things, about what they saw and their frustrations and things like that. And um, and I just want to say, before we go any further with that, is, uh, you know, law enforcement is under siege right now, and our experience with, with um these guys was was amazing they were professional they they cared about what they were doing they 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 went beyond uh the the pale to help us out but um they would you know they they started to open up it's really rough out there isn't it i mean the the stuff you see did, how did that how did you did that conflict with uh the worldview that you had when you first started that this really isn't what the world's like and, oh no like it really is like this
1: Yeah, well, you know, when you're 21 years old, uh, as many of us know, you think you know a lot, but you really don't know anything, and I was pretty optimistic, and I always tell the story, I I wasn't smart enough to go become a doctor or, you know, a physician of some sort, and I wanted to help people. That that was the driving force, to really help and serve people. Well, you get in maybe a couple hours, a couple days, and you realize really quickly that people don't want your help. And uh so that was a tension that you live with, because you really do have the motivation. Most of us that get into this career really want to help people. Um, and some people will receive it and others reject it, and you know you you see this suffering that's caused by their poor decisions. and there's nothing that we in law enforcement can do. We can just respond. And so that probably was the most frustrating thing. Um, and then you get jaded. So when I work night shift. Uh, you get lied to, you get spit at, you get cussed at. Uh, and you're like, you're kidding me. You know, I'm just trying to help you. And and that may mean actually arresting them. And I've had people that I've arrested that actually when they got out of jail, they thanked me because it was a wake up call for them. But yeah, it's it's tough out there. Currently, it's unprecedented. We haven't seen this in a long time in our culture. And it's it's pretty bleak.
0: Yeah, tell me, about that, I wanted to get there next. What do you see happening right now? What in your mind is the most difficult thing to be watching happening in our culture right now regarding how law enforcement is being seen and so forth?
1: I think it's the narrative that you watch or you read in the news that isn't really truly reflective of our culture. Uh, I read a Gallup poll back in May that said uh, of the professions, our, our culture really still trusts law enforcement. It's like 56, 57%. Uh, I might add that only 8% trust our senators. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Um, I think there's uh, this feeling in law enforcement that they're not supported. Um, they're very... Uh, you know the culture is suspicious of them you can't do anything without a camera smartphone videotaping you know what you're trying to do and that 30 second video isn't always representative of what's really happening happening in that case so i think you have that uh, i know a number of officers that i'm connected with they're like you know what i've got the time in i'm going to retire it's just not worth it and then the man, the assassinations, the killings uh, towards law enforcement, it's alarming. It's really alarming. So it's very discouraging right now in in the law enforcement community.
0: Where do you see all this heading? In other words, 10 years from now, are we going to have any new police officers? I mean, sometimes my kids will be watching commercials for, say, the Minnesota State Highway Patrol. They're they're recruiting and you know, uh, they'll say, hey, you know, I, I'd like to do that. And one son, will look, you don't make enough money, do you, dad, to put yourself through that? Are we going to have any police officers if this continues? Because I can't imagine very many young people really thinking this is a worthwhile trade-off.
1: Yeah, I mean, from the agencies that I'm connected to, you know, recruitment is down, certainly. But I'm an optimistic. I think we'll weather this. Um, this is a noble profession, this is an honorable profession. I would say 99% of the officers out there are good people that wanna help people. Yes, you have bad apples in every bunch in every walks of life. Unfortunately, we're the front line of government. And so we're, we're the protectors, we're the guardians. And uh, people in our culture in America, we don't like being told what to do. So don't infringe on my rights. And when I cross that line, uh, there's consequences. So I do think, you know, it's the narrative that can be played out and I do think we can we can overcome this. I really think we can overcome it.
0: As a believer in Jesus Christ and a lot of people listening to this and watching this right now are believers in Christ. Can you give us some counsel? How are we to see this dilemma? We 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 want to support law enforcement. Um, but I'm well aware of the fact that I I'm I'm white. I grew up in a white community. I've never walked in the feet, you know, the, the the shoes of an African-American or a person of color. I don't know what it's like. How do I kind of figure out what to believe and, and, and where to go with
2: this? We'll be back to the conversation with Paul and Glenn in just a moment. You know, Pastor Paul is a survivor of family trauma himself, losing both a wife and a son. And that's what life support is all about. Survivors in discussion with survivors. My name is Steve Johnson, executive director of Five Stone Media. And we are so proud to be a co-sponsor of this program. And for more about our work, you can log on to www.lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Pastor Paul.
0: What am I supposed to think as a follower of Christ? Who am I, who am I supposed to support? What? what... Um, what should my mind my mind frame be around all of this? Because it's easy, like you said, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to choose sides. It's easy to to choose a villain and a and a hero, or discount one community completely. And I think that's a struggle for a lot of people because, th- as I as I watch all of the narrative in front of me, the political narrative and, and this whole law enforcement thing, unfortunately, has become a political football now. You can't be in the middle anymore. You can't You can't say, well, you know, hey, that's a good point. That's a good point. It's like, no, you're either good or bad. And I'm not sure that a Jesus follower should take that tact. I mean, if anybody should be open to justice and, and, and the oppressed and thinking this through, it's us, I would think. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I do agree with that. And this is not the first time our culture has gone through um a reset in law enforcement. You know, it happened in the 20s, the turn of the century, certainly in the 60s and most recent times and 70s. Uh, there's always been this proactive reform in reaction. And so standards have been increased. Uh, I had I had a lot of training in my in my 24 years. Like we are highly trained individuals, and whether it's at the range, whether it's uh, you know, physical altercations, um, But I do think, I think the law enforcement community, you know, I I was under the era where community-based policing was really the emphasis. This is maybe prior to Columbine shooting out in Colorado. Uh, I was in the school serving. And so it really was about developing relationships. And so how can we truly understand if we don't take the time to listen and talk to the people that we're charged to protect and serve? So, you know, to answer your question, I'm not going to take a political side in law enforcement. I'm on the side of law and order. Uh, you know, I'm on the side of the policies that I fall under in the police department. So uh, I'll give you an example. When I got hired in Fond du Lac, uh, I'm reading the policy that was part of my training. And back then in 1988, they had a policy that you could fire a warning shot in the air. And you're like, okay, well, that bullet's going to come down somewhere. So. I thought, okay, that is a policy that has to be changed. So there's constant rewriting, adjusting. You you see that in high-speed chases. You see that in stop-and-frisk situations. Um, and so I think it's it's always an ongoing reform within law enforcement because we're so visible representing the government that we're charged to serve.
0: Yeah. And as you said earlier, the I mean, this uh, thing called a cell phone has really changed everything, hasn't it? I mean, everything now is on video. Yeah. And you see something on TV and you go, you really make a decision, guilty, innocent before a trial. And I would assume as, from an officer's perspective, to, to intervene with all these people filming you would be terrifying, you know? Like, if I, what if I say the wrong thing? What if, what if that gets perceived that way or that way? And I would think that'd be very difficult to do your job.
1: Well, and the thing is, it is difficult, but law enforcement should help themselves. They should be very keenly aware that someone is watching, not that they never weren't watching, but now it's being recorded. And like I said earlier, that 30-second snippet may not do justice of the true actual reality of that incident. Um, Yeah, I think we've got to get better at trying to diffuse situations. Um, You know, I I'm not a big guy, but I'm not a little guy. I never wanted to get in a fight so I could use my words to diffuse uh, situations and not escalate, but you're emotionally charged. You know, I've been on a number of high-speed chases in my career. I've been on probably six shoot-don't-shoot uh, situations. I never, had to, I never had to shoot anyone. I've had my weapon, you know, <laughs> pulled. Um, and what the public doesn't realize is that It's like 95% of all law enforcement never even pulled their service weapon in their whole career. But the big cities, obviously, that's a different statistic. Uh, And we have, you know, we have to write reports, Pastor, that it details everything. And we have to keep records for the federal government, the state government. And so there is well documentation of what's really going on that you don't always see in the news. Yeah, and
0: that sounds like the funnest part of the job is sitting there writing reports um, all of the time. Now, how did you make this change from a law enforcement officer to a church planter? And then you kind of mixed them up for a little while there, but maybe that was part of God's transition in your life. Why? Why that transition?
1: You know, it's interesting. I so value the local church, and people need to serve in the local church to discover what is their calling, what is their giftedness. And so I just tell a lot of our churches that I serve in our district, you know, you need to find out their spiritual giftedness, their passions, you know, what really ignites uh, uh, their energy and their enthusiasm serve the local church. So I started a men's ministry right around the time Promise Keepers was starting. Um, I, I was pretty evangelistic. the police department i actually did start a police chaplaincy and that's another whole story we could share some other time but um i don't want to see anyone go to hell Mm -hmm. and i think we've got a calling to be evangelists and uh to share the good news of christ to whoever and so it just happened to be in law enforcement um but then i got this call like i sensed this holy discontentment like is there something else lord that you want me to do and sure enough uh, I didn't see it coming. We had been taking our church in Lake Mills to Ecuador on short-term mission trips, and so I kind of got a sense that maybe God was going to send me to, um, you know, to uh, to Ecuador, but it was Panama. When I was leaving Fond du Lac to start a church, uh, it was with the sole reason to reach a community that didn't have an evangelical, you know, gospel-centered church. So, you got to go back on the calling. Not everybody's called into law enforcement or ministry as a pastor, uh, but I do believe everyone's called to do something for God.
0: And you listened to that calling and you moved forward. Now, how hard of a decision, how difficult was that to leave what you knew behind and venture out into this sort of new
1: territory? Well, what I love about Converge is you go through an assessment and then you have a coach. If I had to figure this out on my own, uh, there's no way I could have done it. I, I would have crashed and burned. Uh, so that's part of it. You know, it's the systems, the coverings, the organization that you're with. I think that's a big part of it. Uh, never felt that I was doing this alone. So we had sending churches that supported us. Uh, and then my wife of 37 years this year, she was supportive. But if my wife said, no, we're not doing that, I would have listened to that. Because I saw, enforce- I, saw lo- Pastor, I saw in law enforcement, I saw in law enforcement, uh, if the spouse was not supported, the officer would quit. I see that in ministry. If the spouse isn't supported, the the pastor's not going to last.
0: Yeah, the unspoken heroes are the pastor's wives. I mean, they have to provide emotional support. Everyone in the church thinks they know everything about what's happening in the church when uh, many times we don't tell them very much because we want them to actually have a joyful experience in church. And if they knew all the problems, they wouldn't and it's a very very difficult role and um I mean, that's that's really a good insight yeah pray for your pastor's wife mm-hmm. and 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 leave her alone i mean encourage her and be her friend and don't talk to her about church all the time cuz i think she probably wants to talk about some other things right. so here you are now you're becoming a church planter and and you got this in your veins now and by the way converge when we talk about converge it it's a uh, denomination, I guess it's a it's a, a movement of churches around the country. Many would remember it as the Baptist General Conference. That's what we're talking about. And now you're kind of taking this love of both of these areas and you're working on a really interesting project. Tell me about it.
1: Yeah, well, I think it started when I was working in Lake Mills, I got hired part-time and I'm working small department of 11 officers but you know, the spiritual conversations that I would have, and then uh, I believe it was five of the officers had visited the church. I baptized four of them, and then three of them got really connected to the church, the new church plan. And so I saw something, like there is an openness. And so that was planted back in, you know, 2000, 2002. Um, and then in 2016, I heard about a, a church in Chattanooga called Cop Church of Chattanooga, And then there's a cop church of Idaho falls. And so it planted this seed. Now, when you're a retired law enforcement, I have, uh, well, I'm an extrovert, so I don't have a problem talking to people, but I would go up to any cop and I typically I'd give them a hard time. And they kind of look at me and they say, I'm retired from Green Lake or from Fond du Lac or wherever. Um, And then there's an openness there's, Hey, you're, there's a brotherhood. There's you've walked in our shoes. We accept you. And so it planted this seed five years ago, and I've been praying, Lord, if you want me to do something like this um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna be obedient i'm gonna respond to that so we're in the works of launching cities' cop church sometime uh, uh in early october we're making uh, some headway good contacts good info, you know good good involvement from law enforcement but it's not just law enforcement it's first responders it's ems it's fire it's dispatchers it's clerical and anyone can attend but it's the niche it's the niche kind of like cowboy church if you've heard of cowboy church yeah. we have we have one up in ham lake i believe uh, or biker church we have one of those in our district you know so guys that love harleys you know they have a motorcycle blessing and it's it's tuned to that audience sure but everyone's welcome And so that's what we're working on currently.
0: And what's uh, one thing that we can be praying about, Glenn, as you get ready to launch this thing?
1: Yeah, it really is about reaching uh, men and women that have a faith. Maybe they've kind of given up on the church. And then I do believe there's some that don't have a faith that need to be introduced to the true Jesus, not to the not to the false gospel that's floating around out there. So I would say uh, praying specifically that we would do a very good job servicing these men and women and families, because I do think the families are going to find their way to this new ministry. Uh, we're going to support them. We're going to support them well. Um, and that I think pray for that. And then I think praying for our team that God would continue to build a, a team that can do the job to get this launched.
0: And of course, there's always financial concerns too. If somebody would like to make a donation, how would they go about doing that, Glenn?
1: Well, our website will be online tomorrow. So we're, we've done all the necessary work to get it, you know, nonprofit status with the state of Minnesota. Our website will be up tomorrow. Uh, we have a giving platform. So yeah, we do have needs. And the amazing thing is this, I just got to tell you this quick story. I really haven't even asked people to give and people are giving. Because they know this is a very good cause and a very timely need in our culture today. So a lady, husband and wife that we met in Panama uh, are now in Georgia. And we sent out our newsletter um, this weekend. And she texted us and hey, I just want you to know we want to give you our tithe this month. And so they gave us a generous donation. And we're like, okay, Lord, that's the beauty of the body of Christ. There's no other organization like that.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. So it's City Cops Church. Just uh, Google that. You'll find it, and um, you can pray. And All right. All right, Glenn, thanks so much for being here. I, we've just scratched the surface of so many other questions I have for you. We can do that next time, but thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it very much.
1: Thank you, Pastor Paul. I appreciate it.
0: It's Glenn Hershberger, and you know what? Uh, he's he's launching something brand new, and it takes faith to do that. And I'm thinking of Lamentations 325 where the Bible tells us the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. And so you may be facing a challenge in your life and you're saying to yourself, this just is going to be humanly impossible. Well, God isn't constrained by what we can do as human beings. So trust him, trust his goodness, trust the fact that he loves you. I want to thank our great partners that help make life support possible. I want to thank Faith Radio who uh, give us this platform, myfaithradio.com. At Five Stone Media is where you can watch a video version of this podcast, and you can do that at fivestonemedia.com. And you can check us out here at Ridgewood Church as well at myrwc.org. And if you'd like to give to the ministry of Ridgewood Church, which supports this podcast, myrwc.org give. Also love to check you out on Twitter. I'm at Pastor Paul J. So we love to tell stories. That's what Five Stone Media is all about. That's what Life Support is all about. So join
2: us next time right here on Life Support. Life Support is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota.